We've been looking at the subversive, radical, history-changing movement that started with the teachings of Jesus Christ that was entitled The Way. Before the group of those that followed Jesus were called Christians, they were called The Way. That was their name. There's three passages in the book of Acts that talk about the way. One where Saul, before he became Paul, being converted, he wrote a letter to the high priest and said, look, please give me permission to go capture Christians, men and women, not Christians, followers of the way, and bring them to justice. Because the way was known. They were a movement. Saul didn't like them, wanted to stamp them out. Next, we see them in Acts 23, where Luke was writing about Ephesus, this large city that was full of temples, hundreds of temples. Their biggest one was to Diana, the the goddess of Artemis. And silversmiths worked there and made these little idols, and they made good money. And when Christianity came, when the news, the gospel of Jesus came to Ephesus, there was such a movement of the way That in Acts 19, it says riots started because of the way. They were a movement. They stood out. They were countercultural. And then in Acts 24, where Paul is arrested, he's giving his defense before Governor Felix. He talks about, I admit to you that according to the way which you call a sect, I'm actually a believer in God based on the law and the prophets. But Paul himself calls it the way. We have this movement that's radically different. It's based on the word of God. But it was much more. The way was a pattern of life that was so radical people saw it and were either offended or embraced it. The way was so radical, different from the cultural norm of the day, different than Roman life, different than Jewish life, different than Greek life. The way was in opposition to institutional religion of the day. The way was different than, than the cultural norm, modern cultural norm today. We've seen that the way is different than even maybe modern church life is. The way advocates healthy forgiveness instead of natural revenge. The way is where God uses weakness to show himself strong. The way declares that personal surrender is the way to genuine freedom. Things that are countercultural, but things that we've been seeing are part of the way as Jesus taught. Today we're going to see how the way offers discernment, direction, guidance for us in an age of so many opinions. And there are a lot of opinions out there these days, aren't there? You just see it all over the place. Being connected to the social media, I know too much about some of you. And you know too much about some of me. I know when you're hungry. I know when you eat. I know where you're going to go eat. TMI, you know, tone it down a little bit. We're bombarded by information, opinions, options, vying for our attention vying for something, a response from us. You look at opinions, just even look at diets, right? The amount of diets that are vying for our attention. 
the cabbage diet, remember that, cabbage soup, and then the Pritikin, and then the Atkins diet, and then Weight Watchers, and Jenny Craig, and they just go on and on. The new one out that I see is the Paleo diet, right? Yeah. It says it mimics the diet of our cavemen ancestors. <laughs> Seriously, I want to ask, how did it work for them? Not sure. At a local Christian bookstore, I saw a book entitled, What Would Jesus Eat? Now, that's interesting. Probably things in Israel, right? Could be a fish and uh, probably a lot of wine, but we better not go there. (laughs) And when diets don't work, we have options for exercise, right? 24 hours, LA Fitness, P90X, the YMCA, CrossFit. I personally was raised in a developing country. Didn't come to America until I was 17. And the only reason to run was if a Rastafarian or a wild dog was chasing you. And I ran from both during those times. But I adopted the exercise philosophy. If God wanted me to touch my toes, he would have put them higher up on my body. (laughs) It's worked for me. But now there's pills. You don't even have to exercise. Heard about the doctor. He had an overweight patient came in. He gave him a bottle of 100 pills. He said, don't take, don't swallow them. Just pour them out on the floor twice a day and bend down and pick one up each at a time. Yeah, that's where you go. But there's messages of candidates, of propositions that fill our mailboxes and airwaves. You'd think there was an election going on, possibly. But when it comes to religions, there's even more options. The main religions of Islam, Hinduism, Confucianism, Buddhism, Christianity are all in our community And are all looking for adherence, people to follow them. Jim Schrader, our trustee board chairman, was a couple weeks ago at Cal State Fullerton sharing with some students. And he was sharing with a a Buddhist student, shared the gospel with him, asked him, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? And he said, no, you know, I'm a Buddhist. Um, I'm going to work my way into heaven. But give me your phone number in case I change my mind. (laughs) There's people that have different types of beliefs. And we have to decide where are we going to believe. And if you don't like the main religions, there's always a list every year that comes out of the new religions that have been incorporated this year. So far, I got the list. There's three of them. One is called the General Assembly and the Church of the Firstborn. It's a white Trinitarian Pentecostal. Go try to figure that one out. That's a little deep. Another one is called Jediism. See, you know that one. It's actually incorporated. A UFO religion with a Jedi moral principle. If you do these things, you'll get to eternity. The newest one this year was incorporated, 2012. Copymism. It's an internet religion where communication is sacred and worshipped. I go, this is crazy. No, it's out there. But before we poke fun at them, let's think of Catholicism or Protestant and all the different denominations, all the people that say the Bible is the Word of God, we follow this, but yet there's so many differences in how we read it, how we believe, how are we going to discern, where do we get guidance? Remember as a teenager, I was invited to a a party, and it was a party hosted by a guy in our our youth group at the time, and so I went over there one night, the the night of the party, and before the party started, he just got up and he said, okay, I just want to make an announcement before things start, and he quoted 2 Corinthians 3.17. He said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, so let's party. (laughs) It was quite a party, as I remember. Can't, don't think I told my mom about that one, but it was nevertheless 
using Scripture in a very interesting way. Does the Bible really say that? Does the way offer us direction, guidance for not only these other options, but for the questions, the crossroads we're at in our life? Yes, the Bible does offer. The way does offer. And it's found in the Scriptures. Turn with me to John chapter 7. If you have your Bibles or there's one in front of you, John is the fourth of four Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke. They're the synoptic Gospels because they're similar in content, similar in order, and they, they speak a lot of, through parables and interactions Jesus has with people. John is different. It has more of the large, long sermons, the teachings that Jesus gave. They're all very useful. Matthew was really written for the Jews to show them that Jesus was the Messiah. That's their question they had. Mark was written to the Romans saying that Jesus was the servant of God. Luke was written to the Greeks that Jesus was the son of man, the the man for all mankind. And John talks about Jesus as the son of God. They each have a different different point of, of audience as well as a different point of what they're trying to make, but very similar. In John chapter 7, we see that Jesus has healed a bunch of people. He's just walked on the water. He took five loaves and two fishes, and he fed 5,000 people. And in the midst of this, people were so confused who he was. In John seven forty, it says, some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. And others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Messiah is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, where David was, was from? Verse 43, so a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Jesus in his teaching caused division. It caused people to wonder, who is he? They saw him. They heard his teaching. They saw his miracles. They saw the people of the way. But they still couldn't figure out who he was. In chapter 8, verse 12 of John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never live in darkness. And they say, wait a minute. You can't make that statement, the religious leaders are saying, the Jewish leaders, unless you have two witnesses. There had to be two witnesses for any statement you made. And Jesus said, okay, the Father and I say that I'm the light of the world. And so they said, where is your Father in verse 19? And he said, well, where my Father is, you can't go, but that's where I'm going to go. Well, that cleared it up, right? In verse 25, they finally say, who are you? Who are you, Jesus? And then in a moment of clarity from their confusion, in verse 31 and 32 of John 8, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now in this moment of clarity, Jesus is saying, look, there is truth, there is guidance, there is discernment in this crazy world. And the truth is this, it's found in God's word. If you continue in my word. 
In John 17, 17, Jesus prays to the Father, Father, thy word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. John 14, 6, Jesus says to doubting Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When there's confusion about the truth, Jesus says, wait a minute, my word is truth. We believe in the veracity, the authenticity of this as the living word of God for various reasons. One, historically, as you look back, you see prophecies that were written in the Old Testament. Hundreds of years later, they came true exactly as they said. We see in the study of archaeology, different fragments of the scriptures are found in different parts of the Middle East, all coming together in one book that's accurate, that's true. We also see the lives of people, how people have stood on the Word of God for years and how it's changed their lives, how they were willing to live for this, how they were willing to die for the Word of God. People would write scriptures and then burn copies so that they wouldn't be caught or they'd memorize it and pass it along. The Word of God that we have now came at great cost to those that went before us. Very precious, precious book. I have two Chinese Bibles in my office from my grandfather and grandmother who worked in China for many years and they told stories of of friends that they knew that came to know Christ but were persecuted for their faith, imprisoned because they dared to stand on this is the word of God. We know that in a church like this. But do we treat it like the word of God? We have copies around our house, maybe around our car. Sometimes it's good to take a little peek from the view of someone else who's getting their first New Testament. I have a video clip of a tribe in Erie and Jaya that's receiving the New Testament for the first time. Watch how they respond. Let's look at it together. Traffic advisory, Mike Alpha Delta from Centani to Corpo. Now crossing the ridge uh, just above Sela. Maintaining one two thousand. There'll be a big party when we land. They'll be dancing and singing. Dara memerukum. Sium ni dengan na nundi ibu nisin mati ut sampai wahyu. Flight followed by Alpha Delta landing Corpus. Sem 
Isn't that great? Yeah, the excitement of getting the Word of God. Unbelievable. As they handed it to the older folks, the older folks immediately turned around and said, this is not for us. We're going to hand it to the younger generation. And they handed them out. But it didn't come with a, without a price. Phil and Phyllis Masters, who were missionaries that went there, worked for five years starting to learn the language and to write it down. After those five years, Phil was moving on to another village, and as he was moving with Stan, his friend, they went into another tribe to share the good news of Jesus Christ because even before they had the New Testament, they wanted to share the gospel because they knew that many would die. Now, one day, Phil and Stan were up preaching, sharing the gospel, and this other tribe decided they had had enough, and they pulled out their bows and arrows and started to shoot at Stan and Paul. Stan would pull the arrows out of him, break them, and continue to preach. He died, and then Phil died as well. Them getting the word of God came with a heavy price. Phyllis and the family remained until they got the New Testament. Phyllis's sister comes to our church, and her daughter comes here at times. The word of God is precious. Let's never forget it. It's a treasure. The truth, Jesus says, is in the word. But it's just not in the word. The verse there in verse 30 says of John 8, continue in my word. And that's a strong word. That continue is not just read the word of God. The word continue is, is, is the word for a path, a roadway, a direction. I want you to stay in the path of my word Jesus is saying. Yes, you can read it. Yes, you can study it. Yes, you can play with it. Yes, you can memorize it. Yes, you can meditate it. But on Monday morning, are you staying in the path of my word? On Tuesday morning, are you standing against temptation and staying in the roadway of my word? On Wednesday, are you standing firm against trials? Are you continuing in my word? Jesus says, continue in my word. Then I know you are truly my disciples. It's not just knowing the word. The people of the way lived the word. That's why it was so radical. That's why people tried to kill him. That's why everyone noticed him. They were actually living the words of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 119, we read, The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. For the questions you're facing, for the crossroads you're at, for the direction you're looking for, Jesus said, continue in my word. We need light. We're living in crazy times, aren't we? Let me just pause a moment here to address the elections that's coming up on Tuesday. I think we're getting more email traffic here in the office about the elections than anything else these days. Different ones asking us to announce different candidates or different, take different positions from the platform, which we don't do. But here's two truths we can say. One, Scripture clearly teaches 
that we are to be involved in the world that God has created. From the very beginning with Adam and Eve, they were charged with being stewards of the world. They were to keep the world. They were to control the world. They were to be just. And throughout history, we have all these commands about looking out for those who are weak, looking out for the against the injustice of the world. We are to be involved in the world. God raises up leaders we see through Scripture. He takes down leaders, but he asks all of us to be involved. There's no reason not to be involved with what God is doing. The term politics is really means people. We're involved with people. In people's lives, we need to stand up as citizens, as citizens of heaven, as believers. One thing Mike wanted to do when he came to E.B. Free Fullerton was to meet some of the city officials. So we, started, we had a breakfast with the mayor. There was Pastor Jay, John Schaefer, myself, and, and Mike. And as we sat there, Mike wanted several questions. He wanted to ask Sharon Quirk Silva, who is, is, is the mayor at Fullerton. And he said, tell me, what can we do as a church to help Fullerton? What can we do to be a part of Fullerton? And I think we were all surprised where immediately from the top of her mind, she started listing out all the places where E.B. Free was involved. In the schools, in mentoring, in painting the schools, in orphanages, in homeless shelters. She said, you're all over. And Mike kept pressing, what can we do? And she said, you guys are doing it. It It's wonderful to hear there's so many in our church involved For those, if you're involved in one of the propositions or with one of the candidates, you'll see so many people out there you know that are passionate about what God has directed them to do. And and God wants us to be active to a candidate, to propositions. Whatever God has laid on our hearts, let's be good stewards. Let's be active. There's no excuse for not. But the second thing besides being active is knowing that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Because we're hearing two extremes. The first extreme is apathy. You know, there's nothing we can do. One vote doesn't count. You know, the earth is just going to fire. Let's just forget it. Nothing I can do. That's apathy. God says, that's not part of what I put you here on earth for. The other extreme is if my proposition or candidate doesn't win, the world is going to end on November 6th. And that's not true either, is it? God wants us to be active, but is also saying he is sovereign. Ed Underwood, a friend of our church, a pastor in Glendora, wrote this week a letter to his church. And the first half of the letter, he lists all the reasons that the world will not change after November 6th. The Middle East won't change. The nature of man won't change. The corruption and evil of our hearts won't change. But he says in the letter, I am hopeful. I am hopeful. He writes, I had a long talk today with the king. And the king promised me that he will be watching things carefully over the next four years. He didn't say whether we will be facing hard times as a nation or whether we'll see things getting better. But he did say he has a plan. And he will be working everything together for the good for those who love him according to his purposes. Whatever happens in our country, in our world, Ed writes, the king said... His kingdom will not fail. It turns out that whoever wins the race for the White House 
ultimately reports to him. (laughs) The king is a very effective manager of people. He also reminded me that sometimes what's best for the kingdom is for a nation, for his people, to go through hard times. That's often when the king's men and women do their best work on earth. So Ed writes, I will vote and I will pray for whoever wins and I will do what I can to see that justice and righteousness will prevail in our country and around the world. But my hope for the next four years is not built on who wins 270 electoral votes. My hope is in the king and his kingdom. All other ground is shaky ground. It's a great perspective. Be active. Be involved. Do what God calls you to do. But don't live in fear. We have a king. He is sovereign. He is building his kingdom that cannot be seen with eyes. He is building it in a group called the way. The way that believes in the word of God. The way that continues in the word of God. Who lives our life according to his word. Well, the truth in God's word gives us something else in verse 32. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, immediately the people responded in this passage and said, free? We don't need to be free. We're not slaves to anyone. We've never been slaves. We're not going to be slaves. We're a proud, free people. And Jesus looked at them and said, every one of you is dominated by something. Every one of you is dominated by sin, by a desire, by an appetite, by a pleasure, by an agenda. But if you come to the truth, I will set you free. And he writes in 2 Corinthians, whom the Lord sets free is truly free. Mentally, intellectually, spiritually, morally, God offers freedom. Freedom from sin, arrogance, superstition. He doesn't just free nations. He wants to free you. Where you're at. What you're going through. He wants to bring hope and joy and a sense of accomplishment in where you're walking. Jesus says, future loyalty to my teaching, if you continue in my word, will prove the reality of your present profession in faith. This week I heard a lecture at Talbot Seminary from Dr. Lewis, who was lecturing on how to witness to an atheist. It was fascinating. And as he talked through how an atheist thinks and believes and things we could say to dialogue with someone who doesn't believe in God, he asked how many Christians act like atheists Monday to Saturday. How many times do we say we believe the word of God, but we don't really live it out? We act like, yeah, there is no God, that he's really not looking, that he really hasn't bought our life with his blood. 
There's several other passages in Scripture that talk about this knowing of the word but not living it. Let's look at a few. Hebrews 4.2 shows how someone can know the word but yet not live it. For indeed we have good news, Paul says, preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard was of no value to them. They did not share the faith of those who believed. They knew the word, but it was of no value. They weren't walking in the path. Ten verses later, in Hebrews 4.12, the author writes, For the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints of marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word is powerful. It is living. It can change us if we submit to it. Walk in the way. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, realize this in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, Ooh, talking about our kids, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness. That phrase is holding to religion. These are religious people, and they're acting this way. You know some of them. Some of them you see every morning when you look in the mirror. <laughs> but what's wrong? They have denied its power. Ten verses later in 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, if you continue to do the things you've learned, if you stay in the path, if you obey my word, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus, all Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. People who know the Word, but they don't live it. Paul's saying, wait a minute, the Word of God is able to transform you. One more in Luke 24, 38. The disciples have just seen Jesus crucified raised from the dead. He said he's going to ascend to heaven and they're thinking something's wrong. They're confused and the antidote for their confusion and doubt is in Luke 24, 45 where Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He took them back to the living, active, true word of God and these 11 men turned the world upside down. They became the beginners of the way. They changed the way they lived. They changed the way culture saw them. They changed culture around them. They were part of the way when they understood and continued in the word. And because they did, we meet here this morning we are people of the way. God is calling us to be people of the way that transform society, not through legislation, but through changed lives. We have five people from our church that are today in different tribes around the world translating scriptures for those who have never heard. We have one pilot who works with Jars Wycliffe who flies them around because God has transformed us He's called us into the way 
and says, walk in it. Walk in it. We have several options when we hear God's word. We can continue in the way, as some of them did. Or in John eight fifty nine, others bent down and picked up stones to throw at Jesus. They didn't like the way. They didn't want to hear about it. I know you're not in that camp this morning. We cleared all the stones out of the sanctuary. But here's several things you may want to do. For some of you, you may need to push the start button. You've listened to the way of Jesus, but you're not part of the way. You've never followed Jesus. You've never given him your life. You've never said, look, I want to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I want his death on the cross to cover my sins. I want to be assured of eternity in heaven. I want to live with hope now. You can press the set button today. Say, yes, I want to jump on the way. Some of you may say, look, I want to press the reset button. (laughs) I know the way, but I really haven't continued in the way. Can I press the reset button this morning? Can I bow my head and say, God, forgive me for my sin? God, I want to walk in your way. Jesus says if we're willing to confess our sins, he is more than willing to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The band comes and sings as we worship together. There's a room off to your right where there's elders and pastors, men and women, where we'd love to pray for you if you'd like to confess your sin, if you'd like to pray for strength, if you'd like to pray to set the set button or the reset button, we'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have come to redeem us. We thank you that you haven't left us without direction. This morning, Father, we submit to your direction. We want to be followers of the way. We want to be wild, loving, radical, countercultural. But you need to strengthen us. So in our weakness, we come. We come to sing, we come to worship. We come to pray. Hear the prayers of our heart. I pray in Christ's name, amen.